What are you in frothies? Wednesday, the 6th of October, post-grand final. Daggy, Ollie and Barney with you uh, to review the top four teams. We've been through the, the 12 so far, and we're going to have a look at the top four now. Get our teeth stuck into that. Uh, Ollie, we haven't seen you since grand final night. Obviously, it's been a long 10 days. Um, you all right? Yeah, I'm happy. I'm elated. I mean, um, we're coming out of lockdown. It's our last show in lockdown, so I thought I'd celebrate by um, jazzing myself up a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to be back and stoked to be getting out of lockdown and to do a bowl prediction show soon with you blokes in person. Love the hat. Sorry to take a screenshot. All day, Riff. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, I will shout out. <laughs> Shout out to Ripper Lids a couple of years ago. I had a uh, deal with them through rugby league, in my opinion, and they were going to give me 5% of the earnings for the hats or whatever over a couple of months. I said, no, just send me out a couple of free hats. So they did that. So I've got a couple of free hats with rugby league slogans on them that I've just not had the opportunity to wear, really. So I thought I'd wear them now. So I'm wearing my cap and my sunnies because I was thinking during lockdown, most people are inside. What are two things that they'd be without? the majority of this time, well, they wouldn't really need to wear sunnies or a hat. So that's what I'm wearing and hopefully I get to wear my sunnies and hat a fair bit more. I might wear it down the, the first uh, first night back at the pub. Oh, yeah, the countdown is on. Is <laughs> Six, five sleeps. Five sleeps. <laughs> Not anyone's counting. Um, Barney, how's life? Get through the long weekend, all right? Yeah, mate, long weekend was good. Grand final night was fantastic. Um, the, the only problem is you've got to go back to work at some stage and we've had a couple of days of that. But, you know, looking forward to, as you said, five five sleeps from now. How are you going yourself, mate? I'm just lighting mosquito coil. Uh, it's summer. Beautiful. <laughs> Rip a day in Western Sydney and uh, just enjoying the outdoor ambiance. Uh, no, going, going good. Busy. Staying out of trouble, all the good stuff. Counting down for a beer, but um, I've cracked it. I'm having one tonight. So, anyway, uh, some news to get into very quickly. Uh, I guess I didn't write down any of this. Uh, I'm not going to touch on any of the suspension stuff. It's boring, and uh, yeah, all the blokes got pinged with some stuff. Um, but the big news today is the retirement of Benji Marshall. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Ollie, I might let you go first while I just bring this up. Uh. The frothy section of footy and frothies has been amended. In progress. Oops. All right. Uh, yeah, so we're saying Benji Marshall. Ollie. Yeah, so Benji Marshall, I would say, uh, at least for my generation, you know, we grow up and obviously you blokes would have had certain players who the masses idolised growing up and wanted to be like and play like and really got them into the game. Well, more than anyone else. For I'd say most people born in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was Benji Marshall. I mean, that 2005 season, I remember in primary school uh, with schoolmates at lunchtime, whenever we'd go out, someone would bring the footy. And while we were sitting and eating our lunch, the argument would be, who's going to be Benji? And people just fighting the entire time over who's Benji. Somehow we'd sort it out and we'd go play. And it just so happened that whoever was Benji on the day, of course, got to do the flick pass the sidestep and ended up scoring five tries. Didn't matter about talent or anything. It was whoever was Benji was the one who was going to be good that day um, and pretty much flog everyone else. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I would argue he's just about the most 
influential rugby league player, at least of his generation, possibly all time. Just the influence he had on people growing up. I think it's crucial as well for the NRL and for rugby league in general. It's promoting the game for the younger generation and getting younger fans invested to promote the longevity of the game. And geez, Benji's done that for well, 18 odd years. And um, yeah, he'll be sorely missed. Oh, absolutely, mate. The only only person that came through sort of in our generation that would have been a similar ilk would have been Brad Fittler. Um, and it was all about the step. It was all about being able to just take control of a game and win a game off his own bat. And Benji did that many a time, as did Brad Fittler. Um, both absolute standouts for, obviously, Benji didn't get to play Origin, but he was an absolute standout in his representative career. I would have liked to have seen him actually never leave and go to Union, to be honest, because he would have been he would have gone close to the most NRL games ever <laughs> with, without that little hiatus that he had when he went to Rugby Union. Um, absolute freakish talent, uh, ball in hand. Obviously, defence, he wasn't smashing blokes everywhere, but he was one of the best attacking footballers that I've ever seen, um, even generation before yours, mate. So... Let's go to the the fearless leader. I'm sure you've got some very fond memories yeah, I think, of um, Benji. Well, I think Ollie summed up really well in that he is the inspiration for a generation of footballers. Uh, even all the young, um, all the young Penrith boys, I think, all said I think when they all debuted against the Tigers last year or played their first game against Tigers, they're all lining up for photos with him. Uh, mm. But a whole generation of uh, kids grew up, as you said doing the the big step and the flick pass and uh, taking it from there. They, and, and a, a whole bunch of uh, unfortunate 12-year-old boys have been saddled with the name Benji uh, <laughs> ever since. But, um, yeah, you're right in that. If he'd st- I think if he stays in the league, he plays close to 400 games. I think he's what he get 340-something. Um, and he's said his, his own regret is the way he walked out on the Tigers. Uh, I'm sure... Uh, and he came back, respect to him is he came back a lot wiser and uh, owned up to his mistakes. I think he speaks really well. He's obviously got a job wherever he wants it in the media next year. If not, uh, uh, I'm sure some club will snaffle him up as a as an assistant coach or a, a halves, yeah, halves coach, coach or something absolutely. like that. Uh, could be Souths, actually. For, for I dare say he'd be behind playing bits and pieces all the way through. He'd be doing a bit of media. He's, he's very good in front of a camera. Um, yeah with his media commitments through Fox. So I'd be surprised if they don't go out to do their best to snaffle him up there. But yeah. I'm sure he'll do some bit part coaching in the half somewhere. But obviously was a major part of, apart from my three, three children, one of the most uh, memorable <laughs> nights of my life, watching the Tigers win the comp. One I'm not holding my breath for soon. Uh, but it's also forgotten, which obviously 05 and, and the trademark flick and everything, but 2010-2011, he was close to the best player in the world. He was absolutely amazing. I stand by the fact we probably should have won the comp in 2011 when uh, all he had to do was put his hand on Kristen Inu. But for that year, he was dominant. Uh, just controlled games. That was when he was just at his absolute peak. Uh, sadly, it crashed pretty quickly uh, with all the fallout, uh, as usual, at the West Tigers. But um, magnificent player, obviously a New Zealand Rugby League immortal. Uh, and there have, has been the case pushed forward that he, he should be spoken about in immortal terms. I don't necessarily subscribe to it just yet. Uh, you mentioned Brad Fittler and blokes I'd have him before him. But um, my favourite player of all time, uh, him and Freddie would be the two. And, uh, yeah, immensely proud to, uh, I guess, 
at least got to enjoy some of it, I suppose. I don't really know what to say about that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, the one memory that sticks out for me, obviously being a shark supporter, was that night where he just single-handedly carved through about nine or ten different sharks. And I think it was 2009 and scored one of the freakiest tries you're ever yeah. going to see. But he was just able to turn a game on its head at any point and just um, with, with his footwork and the chip and chase, the grubbers, whatever, all the rest of it, and just um, put on points basically whenever the whenever it was needed so one of the first of that generation that had that uh ball to the winger as well that real bullet pass the from yep. uh, the 20 meter cut out to your winger uh he obviously didn't create it but he was one of the masters of it um and yeah who we missed we'll all move on uh absolutely and Look forward uh, to see I where we we'll, salute, we'll give him our salute for the uh, for tonight, <laughs> uh, I might just get to see if you can just jiggle your mic a little bit, Barn. It's a bit, bit, uh, yeah, right, but sound right now. Uh, so let's get it. Any other, any else you want to discuss out of the finals of the weekend? They've had a couple of nights to ponder it. No, okay, oh, cool. Not myself. The, obviously, there was a big talking point that we actually didn't mention on in our review, which with the um. With the charge down rule compared to mm. when you're making a tackle and um, it's classed as a knock on, whereas when, when someone's kicking the ball, it's not. I'm not. I think that probably needs to be lined up somewhere down down the track. Well, um, the annoying thing about that is how many times this year do players get pinged for knock ons making a tackle? Oh, when there's no, in no way, shape, or form of playing no. at the ball, and then you have that happened, and I would have assumed the players would have assumed it was six again when it happened live, uh, and yeah. To, to according, they got it. They got it absolutely correct on the night, um, the, according to the rule, uh, from from my understanding. But the one thing we didn't, we obviously didn't have um, Ollie on our uh, grand final review show. Uh, how did you spend the evening, mate? And who did you get around at the end of the night? Did you have any good stories out of the after the grand Family. final? How was the old man and the brother? And uh, well, uh, well, that's the thing, really, isn't it? You know. Like the, the game itself doesn't necessarily matter. You know, everything else, I know there's plenty of peanuts out there who are Penrith supporters who probably don't deserve it. But, I mean, for my dad and my brother, that's all I was really thinking about. I was absolutely gassed for them. Um, Dane Laurie had a good night. Yeah, he had a great night. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough to him. Uh, it's a, another topic, but I, I don't I don't blame him or I'm not mad at him or anything for doing that. Maybe you are because you're a Tigers no, fan. No, not really. Um, It'd be like if I turned up at a... Like if Barty and I ended up at a end of year consumers piss up, like who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And you know, these mates. No one will get that except for like ten blokes in a Dependent district, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so pretty much at, at full time, I went shook the old man's hands, and he he was teary eyed, and then yeah. I messaged mm-hmm. my brother straight away, and I said that he and dad deserved it as much as the blokes on the field for all the years that they've been going to at least every single home game, few away games too, and pumping all of their money into the club, you know, watching them be disappointing for a, a long time. Most of the time, Penrith are pretty average, but, um, you know, it was good. And the last time they won a comp, I don't remember it. They were at the grand final, but it was good to actually be in contact with them and actually remember this one. Um, but, but yeah, that, w- that was really the main thing. And um, he's... Dad's watched it about genuinely twenty times since. <laughs> Good on him. Due to Labor Day, and um, has he found the has he found the uh, the one where Penrith play better than South? Uh, what do you mean the game where Penrith play better than South? Yeah, uh, I thought they were pretty even. I, I thought I genuinely thought Penrith were probably just better, 
but it was a really good game for the whole 80 minutes. And we've had some grand finals um, throughout the years that have been similar and probably won't be remembered um, that well because there wasn't that moment, if you will. And I'm not, I'm not sure if this grand final is going to be one of them yet. But, yeah, anyway, on Monday he got up at 7 a.m., started watching the replay, did not move from the couch till 5 p.m., had to come down and get some clothes off the line. He was coming, picking the clothes off the line for me and was reciting the last minute of commentary off by heart. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's good. That's real good. Good on, Paddy. Good man. And I'm, I'm happy for him anyway. And, you know, in fairness – Whatever, as we said, we knew a lot well, of people. I mean, uh, knew, we know a lot of Penrith fans. We know a lot of people that meant a lot to. Uh, I saw Flobs' reaction live. Uh, you know, good on him. We're all, we're all entitled to be happy at some point in life, except for Titus how was your missus, Barn? Oh, she was absolutely overjoyed, mate. She, <laughs> I expected a little more carry on, to be honest. We only went on for about twenty minutes, and then she settled down, which was surprising to me. But yeah, she was absolutely ecstatic with the win. Shall we get into it? Absolutely. So we kick off, or well, we're going to get into, as we said, review the <coughs> the fortunes of the top four, uh, as we have done in the weeks leading up to tonight. Uh, so expectations, uh, how they performed ca- compared to expectations, best players, and wh- where the future might lie for all of them, which, uh, to be honest, for all four, there's, there's question marks, I would think, but we'll get to that. Uh, Manly finished fourth, Barney. Do you want to run through some stats? I did, yeah. They had a 75% completion for the season, a tackle efficiency of 88.5%. Garrick was their top point scorer with 334 points. Tommy Subrojevic scored 28 tries. He also topped the run metres with an average of 210 run metres per game, uh, 3,773 metres for the season. Marty Tapao was the top hit-ups with 345 now we're going to go back with Tommy with a whole heap of other stats. And he had 38 line breaks, 36 line break assists, 28 try assists. Uh, the top offloader was actually DCE, which surprised me when I went back and had a look at wow. it. With 30, 36 offloads. Uh, Tommy Trevojevic again with 124 tackle busts. Uh, the most errors was uh, Saab with, I actually didn't write down a number there, so that's interesting, but it was right up there with, it was what is 30-something, I'm pretty sure it was. Croker made the most tackles for the Manly team with an average of 37.9 a game, 986 tackles with an efficiency of 94.5, which is surprising for Lachlan Croker. Uh, Tapao was the top penalty conceded with 12 penalties conceded. Handling errors, Saab with 35 Foreign missed 61 tackles. Uh, their season ended up being 34 points, 16 wins, 8 losses, 744 points for, 491 against, which was an average of 31 points for and 20 and a half points against per game. Now, they lost their first four. Des was going to get sacked. They were leaders. <laughs> they were going to run last. We'd written them off. Uh, and then one man appeared from the, the ashes and, and lofted them upon his shoulders. Uh, what did you make of this year? Oh, Barney, keep going. I was like, if you look at, obviously, the stats there say a lot. Uh, just about every attacking stat was Tom Trevojevic. Um, their forward pack in the, in the first four games, as we mentioned, when they were losing every game, they didn't look like they could beat any forward pack in the competition. And um, for whatever reason, as soon as they started making a few metres out wide, their forward pack grew another leg and they 
they were tremendous from once Tommy came back after his little Corso run. They were um, they were really, really good and they caught fire towards the back end of the year. Um, obviously, they they sort of burn out come finals time. Um, they didn't um, they didn't keep up the the rage against the machine or whatever you want to call it when they got into the semifinals. But I actually pegged them to miss the eight this year, to be honest, because um, I was I was a little bit off them because I actually tipped them to win the comp the year before. And um, even with Tommy there the year before, they didn't look like beating uh, a majority of the teams during the year. But this, I don't understand how a player improves a team and just in on his own improves that much out of sight. He was absolutely tremendous this year. He did things in 15 games that I haven't seen anybody do in an entire oh, entire career, realistically, for some people. But um, he was uh, the absolute spearhead of their attack. They're going to need a little bit more help going forward next year, obviously. To, uh, um, I'll hold you there for a sec, just because no, we may go, well for it. go a bit deeper on Turbo. Uh, but, uh, Ollie, you just completed a show where you discussed... Turbo versus 09 Hain, the fabled Jared Hain run. What was the wash up of that? And where, in your you know, youngish opinion, does Tommy Turbo sit? Well, it, it, it's actually been recorded and coming out tomorrow. So you're jumping the gun a bit, but thank you oh. for remembering it. But oh, I just I saw the shitty Photoshop. <laughs> hey, if you can do better, you're welcome to do it. I'm, I'm not going to pay you, though. Um, I think you that. You pay uh, people? Yeah, I've got the. Oh, okay. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, right. But um, yeah, I'm backing Turbo 100%. There are a lot of people out there who say Hayne had a better season um, because Par- Parramatta made the grand final. Manly didn't. I get that, but I feel like if it's sort of a close close race in terms of stats and how the two players played, then maybe you can look at team achievements. But honestly, Tom Travojevic had that much of a better season than Jared Hayne. It's a like it's it's a joke, um, in my opinion at least. Hayne really caught fire towards the end of 09. Travojevic through the entire year. I know he played fifteen games, but throughout the season uh, was just on fire. If he had played a full year, I have no doubt in my mind it would be a record-breaking season in terms of try try involvements. It, it nearly was already in terms of what he was putting out in term in terms of games played as well. We rarely see players actually get more assists and score more tries than games they've played that year. It almost never happens. And he did both this year. He got close to double on it, realistically. Yeah. yeah. And I guess props to Cody Walker too, who managed to notch up the assists. Um, but yeah, honestly, I thought it would have been a, a record-breaking year if he'd played the whole season. And it was just astronomical. Like It was like if I create a, a player on Rugby League Live 4 and play... <laughs> genuinely that those are the type of stats he put up. So for me, it's a no brainer better than the Hano nine, better than Barber 12, possibly the greatest season of all time. It's just a shame. He didn't play more games. That's, that's the only thing. Cause then I think yeah. it'd be unanimous. Look, I think, and I'm actually just looking at the Oh nine Parramatta squad now, just out of interest. I'm not sure if it's a better squad. I was going to. I think Parramatta overall had a better team. They definitely had a better forward pack, or at least a more seasoned forward pack. Definitely, uh, with the likes of um, Yohan Marsh, Kalis's, uh, Nullivar, blah blah blah. Um, so probably had more help around him. 
Uh, Turbo, yeah, doesn't just make himself look good. He made Ruben Garrick and Jason Saab look like the greatest wingers in the world. And, like, let's be honest, they're not. Um, and those games that he missed. And the game, even like, after uh, Garrick found form and Saab found form, the games he missed, they the wheels just completely fell off. So uh, he, what he added to that team was amazing. Um, I'll let you keep going with what you're doing, Barn. Uh, but I just thought we'd chime in and... and uh, no, no, just, uh, mate, I, I didn't really have a lot more to say, to be honest. He, to me, he papered over a few cracks, mm. especially with the um, the middles for the Manly side. They've got some good up-and-coming youngsters on, as in Schuster on the edges and um, Ola Katow, but um, I thought their middle actually act, lacked a little bit of punch and they were sort of... Um, they were propped up a little bit because Manly would, if they were struggling in the middle, they would go wide early, whereas, and, you know, get on the back of Tommy and they'd make a lot of metres through the centres and down the wing and um, take a bit of pressure off their middle forwards. So, if anything, um, I think Manly really need to look at probably strengthening that middle a little bit um, yeah, well, going into next year. But Yeah. Um, well, yeah, just yeah, <coughs> on that on Tom, He's built like a, a big second rower. He's as fast yes. as anyone else, so that adds a lot to it. Uh, I think the big thing for next year is Manly's forward pack needs seasoning. Uh, they, and I flagged a little bit in the lead up to the last two clutch games, but uh, Schuster's obviously got all, all talent in the world. He's got the flair, but um, just needs that little bit of hard nose about him. Ola Kuatu reminds me of maybe where Kikau was two years ago, three years ago. He, he can And he can be as Good, if not better, is kick out by the time he, and he's only what twenty. So by the time he's twenty three, he'll be a scary proposition. Yep. Uh, is he a New South Welshman? Have we had this discussion? I'm not sure to be honest. I think he's a Kiwi. But... Probably a Kiwi. Uh, sure. But they're they're the two shining lights in that back row, uh, and I think the front row was disappointing. I th- Kepi ended up starting a lot, and he's a fine tradesman. But uh, Oshe Ole went backwards this year. Yes. I thought he um, was very disappointing from where he was at the Tigers. Agree with that. Um, Tapao uh, did a job. Tapao was young, so serviceable. Young Paseca is something, um, yeah. and he will be something. But he never got a lot. Years. I know he had injuries and that, but he never got a lot of real hard minutes. Uh, at least he didn't feel that way, but he was damaging when he was on. Uh, and the other one with the other big bench player will be a good player, Sipley. So they've got, they've got stuff there, uh, but... They need a bit of time. Uh, Curtis Sirenen spent most of the time injured and is going. So I, I think they'll be better for this year. Uh, should we touch on DCE, just what he brought to the team? And there's a funny thing, because he finished he finished high up in the Daly M Awards. He finished second in the Daggy M's. The irony is if uh, Turbo doesn't play, he probably doesn't finish top, top 20 because they probably get beat a lot and he falls off the chart. <laughs> Whereas in some teams you'd think, oh, you know, uh, Pappenhausen's taking points off Munster. But uh, I don't think it's necessarily the case there. But he had a fantastic year. He's the second best halfback in the comp. I've got a complete halfback, in my opinion. Uh, his game control is fantastic. His kicking's as good as, you know, he's on the Reynolds level when it needs to be. His short kicking's great. Uh, his support, he's the best supporting halfback in the comp. Uh, and it, I didn't realise the offload stat. That's incredible. I don't know if that's a blight on the Fords or the on the rest of the Fords, or if it's just he's got a bit of he's a bit sneaky. He's um, taken on the line a little bit more than yeah, most. Half so, but I, I thought he had a fantastic year. He um, 
unfortunately wouldn't be the Australian halfback if the team was named tomorrow, but he will he's obviously the Queensland captain halfback for as long as he needs to be, at least at the moment. Our thoughts on DCE Barn. Oh yeah, uh, tremendous year. I I really like his passing game on top of his kicking game, as you mentioned, he's one of the more complete halfbacks. Uh, running around in the competition. I think even if they were getting beaten, I think there's a few games at the start of the year we gave him a point here and there as well. We yeah, one of the ones in, a, in a beaten team. Beat, so. Which one was it? Uh, I think it might have been when they played Penrith, we gave him a point. Is it Penrith yeah. or St George? So, and when Tommy wasn't there, he was probably their standout player anyway. So, um, one of his better better years of his career, I think. Um, probably his best year, realistically. And if he can improve on that, there's something there. I like Lachlan Croker too. I think they found something there. Um, well, you him mentioned him. Nine. Actually, when you well, mentioned him, yeah. He, he's one of the more underrated players. His defensive work's fantastic. And, and yeah. they missed him. They missed his service in those and couple it's, of games. It's pretty good quick service as well. Yeah. Um, like to see him get out of dummy half and run a little bit more, but um, he's uh, definitely he's improved out of sight. I didn't have a big rap on him at all, to be honest, up until this season. So yeah, thoughts, Ollie? Yeah, well, the pretty much all the blokes you mentioned. <laughs> I don't know if Ollie's fallen asleep <laughs> half the time. <laughs> <when talking. laughs> the glasses on. Sorry, <laughs> Yeah, so you like obviously Turbo, DCE would have to be in there with the players who, who impressed me. I also had the two wingers and uh, Olakwasu as well, who you mentioned, Daggy. I am um, looking towards next season, though, for Manly. I actually think they might regress a little bit after this one season of Tommy having a huge year. I'm not saying he's necessarily going to drop off at all, but now, now teams know what Manly is, and that's a decent football side that is carried a lot by one player with a forward pack that's extremely up and down. Um, and, and that's the big weakness for Manly. And it was this year, you boys brought it up. On many occasions, their forward pack looked strong. They looked dom- dominant. They looked great. Other times, they were poor. They were disappointing, usually in the games where Tommy wasn't there. Um, and that's the big thing. I, I don't think one player can lead a team to a premiership. They can only lead them so far. And then they hit their ceiling. Doesn't matter who the player is. I personally never seen or don't believe a single player has ever led a team that far on their own back. They've always had a little bit of help. And I guess we could say Daly Cherry Evans is that little bit of help, I guess, for Tom Travojevic. But the thing is, DCE plays better when Tommy's in the side. And I'd argue too, if DCE wasn't in the side, Tommy'd still have a great season, probably still Daly M. But DCE does help him out a bit um, by setting up those plays for him. So, yeah, I think they sort of go hand in hand, but they need that bit more manly. Their forward pack, definitely. That's a big thing for next year. Going to have to be more consistent, I would say. Otherwise, I probably see them probably around fifth, sixth next year. One thing I'd do, and I'm pretty sure a lot of manly supporters would agree with me, to be honest, is I'd be putting Jake in the front row. Yeah. Um, They've got Ethan Bullsmore coming in, who's a – I think I, I like him. He's quite good ball in hand, and he can run good, strong lines through the middle. But he spends too much time trying to link up with his outside backs. Yeah. And you've you've got a ready-made replacement in Schuster there, yeah. who is a much better ball player than, than Jake is. Don't get me wrong. Jake does a decent enough That's job. What I was saying I like bully but, but he needs to put his head down and just charge through the middle and make his 50 tackles <laughs> every second game. Well, and, it know, gives him an 80-minute prop. And that just that's one less thing to worry about as well. Um yeah, I said Bullenwell coming in will help. Uh I guess off the bench or back row there. Morgan Harper, 
had his glimpses of something good. Uh, yes, yes. As did Suli, who's going, so he might be a bit of a loss. And the last one, I guess, I'll mention is Kieran Foran stayed on the field and and looked pretty good. He looked happy back at home and uh, has a, a quite a good combination with DC and um, he was good this year. Yeah, he, um, he poked his nose through the line quite a bit. Um, his running game actually did help them at times. There was uh, I mentioned just, I think it was the game before the finals or maybe even the first final against Melbourne that he was realistically the only one who looked like breaking open the line at different times where he put his head down and actually ran the ball into the line and then tried to play after that. Um, there's a little bit about that with the Manly side where they sort of seem to go a little bit wide a little bit early sometimes where they should just be sort of crashing into the line. But... Yeah, um, considering how badly, like probably three or four years, he's been on the back end of injury after injury, maybe even longer. And he spent a lot of time on the sidelines. I thought he was quite good. I didn't understand why the Dogs didn't re-sign him, to be honest, in the last year at the Dogs. But he's improved on that again, coming to Manly this year. So if he can keep his body right, he should be a decent addition again next year. Very interesting to see what happens with Dylan Walker. He might be someone apparently hasn't committed just yet. So there might be a an off season uh, contract in the offering there from some other clubs. Once, like I keep saying, I think in a month's time there's going to be quite a bit of uh, landscaping around some clubs. He sort of came good towards the back end of the year, which was interesting when they put him into the back row and made him play a bit of fourteen. So, well, he's not a fullback, time. and I think he was settled yeah. there for a long time. Why told me he was out. Yeah. Absolutely, and he's probably not a centre anymore either, so he's probably is that sort of 14 that plays a bit of back row, a bit of middle. Yeah, which I guess is sort of him and Connor Watson and, um, dare I say, Tyrone Peachy, who was probably the, the best sort of exponents of that, by and large. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the dog agrees. Um, so does, 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 would, would, is there a pass mark from everyone? Did they finish higher than you thought they would? Or I, I obviously think I already over, said they did. I but. think they overachieved. I think from where they started, they did a fantastic job. Uh, and I guess the simple thing is I'm in awe of um, Tom, Tommy Turbo at his best, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, overachieved. And... I share the same concerns you guys raised for next year. I think they're a, a, a genuine six or seven that with the best player in the world becomes a four. I hope we see another six years of this with Tommy, but we'll see what happens. And, and the thing is, he's still got to do it again next year. You know, it's yeah. not... Ollie, any dad? The only thing maybe I would add, and I, I'm not predicting injuries or anything here um, because I don't like doing that and I don't think it's fair, but we still can't forget that Tommy has been quite injury prone over the past couple of years. This is the first almost full year that he's been able to put together and he's been amazing. But all I'm, I'm just saying is if, if he was to go down next season um, with a similar injury to what he's had in the past, then Manly probably just about missed the top eight, then you'd have to think. And he still missed eight or 10 games this year as well. So Apparently they have him in a pretty good spot now with their... Um... He's got his, whoever it is, physio that follows Titanium him Titanium hamstrings put in there. Yeah, yeah, he has his mate that follows him around and stretches <laughs> him everywhere he goes. Uh, yeah, let's move on to, well, minor premiers, but third, I guess, in the wash-up, the Melbourne Storm. After it's all said and done, yeah. Uh, broke the record for most consecutive club games. Barney, what do the stats say apart from that? 
Yeah, well, again, 78% completion, uh, which is pretty high for um, most teams in this top four, obviously. 88.3% tackle efficiency. Uh, Pappenhausen actually had the most points for this team this year, which was 157. Considering how many games he missed, it's a pretty good effort to be the top point scorer. Probably shows um, how much Adder- they shared it around too. Sorry. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Josh Adokar with 23 tries for the season. The top tackler was Harry Grant with an average of 31.2 and 468 tackles. So, that, again, interesting with the way that they shared the, um, the tackling around with their team. And he had a 93% efficiency. Uh, run metres were an average of 145 metres with 2,179. Uh, 2, and that was... Uh, no, I didn't write it down, but I'm pretty sure it was um, <laughs> pretty sure it was Nico Hines, to be honest. Um, Kamikamika with 256 hit-ups. Line breaks was Josh Adokar with 28. Line break assist was Nico Hines with 26. Try assist was Jerome Hughes with 19. Offloads, Christian Welsh with 45. Tackle bus, Olam with 94. Errors, Nico Hines with 24. Kafusi gave away 13 penalties. Remy Smith had 22 handling errors and Munster missed 70 tackles for the season. Ollie, you can lead us away. Uh, the minor premiers, what did you make of their year? Yeah, well, they were pretty much just about on par where I had them. I had them winning the minor premiership, but I didn't have them winning the premiership. That's what happened in the end, so they pretty much met expectations there. I'd say a, a dominant sort of first half of the season and a middle period too. But as we brought up a multiple times over the past few weeks, even their run towards the end of the season, they weren't as good as they were. There were some noticeable cracks. Their worst game of the season was funnily enough, probably a game that they won. I remember against the Cowboys. They're just lucky that the Cowboys are not awful. Um, But yeah, there were worrying signs and they weren't great in that preliminary final against Penrith either. Penrith were great. Penrith had some great goal line defense, but you know, Melbourne was sort of holding on and we were thinking, is it possible for Melbourne to run out of gas? Is it possible for them to, to have that bad game? And when's it going to come that game where it all just unravels. And unfortunately for them, it didn't really come during the year, although they had that bad game against the Cowboys where it really unraveled, I thought was the preliminary final in terms of discipline or control, everything. They just looked like a bit of a different side. And, but other than that, obviously a record tying year, 19 wins in a row. Can't be understated. Craig Bellamy for me personally is the best coach of all time. In my opinion, just what he's been able to do with this side that he's put together. But um, in terms of next year too, I don't see them winning the minor premiership. They're definitely top four. <laughs> I just feel like the losses that they've had as well, this is probably the most loss. Well, Cameron Smith was a gargantuan loss last year, but in terms of talent that they've lost, you've got Finucane going, you've got Nico Hines going, Josh Adokar, et cetera, leaving the club this year. I think all in all, there's 11 players leaving and Melbourne haven't really experienced that for a while. So it's going to be interesting to see how they react next year. Um, but other than that, the players who stood out for me, Jerome Hughes was one of them, especially when Munster was having his down period, which I was, I'd say was probably that first half of the year. Jerome Hughes stood up. 
Brandon Smith as well, arguably their best player, and their forward pack just as a whole. Their forward pack seems to always go underrated. They don't get talked about as much because of your Hughes, your Brandon Smith and your Munsters when he's playing well. But I thought it was just about the best forward pack we've seen in Melbourne Storm history, I'd even argue, just in terms of consistent performances for the majority of the season. Um, but yeah, other than that, as I said, I see them dropping off a little bit next year. Still top four, but I just don't think they'll be as good. Which It's it's hard to match a record-tying season, of course. Yeah, it's a funny... If I sit and think about Melbourne Storm year, there's two blokes. I th- The first two blokes come to mind are Brandon Smith, who in my opinion was the, the best hooker in the game this year, mm-hmm. week in, week out, uh, and Nico Hines who grew a leg, he was tremendous, uh, became a outstanding top-level first-grade fullback, uh, and at times half as well. But uh, they were the two that got this team through a lot of trouble. That You mentioned, but through that streak, there were there was games, obviously, they won very well, but there was many times they played 40 minutes of pretty ordinary footy and were a little bit headless chook, uh, and, and Cheese was often the one that just got them straightened up and going. Uh, when you actually look through their matches played, it's just how many games are shared around. Like Chris Lewis played twenty first grade games this year. You wouldn't even think of it, but um, the constant rotation um, was an issue. Not an issue. They they kept winning, but um, I think it was to the detriment of the back end because they actually looked clunkier when they took Nico back out of the starting lineup. There would have been an argument to keep Nico at one and play Papenhausen off the bench. Obviously, Papenhausen scored points uh, after a while and found a bit of his mojo, but uh, I don't know if it necessarily helped the just how fluid the team was. Munster did had a pretty ordinary year apart from the last six weeks where he found a bit of, a bit of form after Origin. Nelson missed a lot of footy. Uh, Welsh had a, a pretty good year, but missed a bit of footy. They all... I th- I think it's under understated just what a good job Cheese did this year and what a good job Nico did and Jerome Hughes uh, to keep this team on track because that could have gone off the rails a little bit and obviously the coach we we wrapped Robbo we wrapped Robbo enough uh, for Bellamy to do a similar a similar thing is um is pretty good but I think they've shown now that they're pretty close to the bottom of the barrel in that we saw once year smoothies and penes and and Cooper Johns come into the team. They're not the players. They're not even the second-tier players that they've had for a long time. So I think they're up against it next year, which I'll, I'll talk about in a sec because I'll let Barney have his say before I keep going. Oh, to be honest, I agree with just about everything both of you boys have said, um, especially on Munster. Um, Ollie, you mentioned that you didn't think he had the greatest year and Daggy said that he probably only came to life in the last six games. I'd, I'd be surprised if I could have given him six games in the entire year where I thought he was good, to be honest. Um I thought he was a lot of the reason why we mentioned a few times during the year where the attack went sideways. Um, they didn't. They lost control, and that was a big part. Obviously, I don't think. Obviously, Cheese and Harry Grant covered over the cracks that Cameron Smith left, but the the way that the team lost control for at times half a game where they just didn't seem to have any idea of where they were going, what they were doing. It was just the, the forwards had their job and they, the forwards got through their job. And they, that was basically the reason they won a lot of those 19 straight is because their forwards were as good as anybody and they just get through a job. But off the back of that, there were so many times where the play just broke down, the ball went uh, went to ground or went in and behind people. 
Uh, the kicking game was poor for a lot of the season for Melbourne, to be honest, um, unless Jerome took control and did it himself. Uh, there wasn't, you didn't, you, there was no standouts like Reynolds or DCE or Cleary where they con- consistently pinning teams down in their own corner. It was basically they'd sort of run, they run it a lot on, you know, rather than kick it, they would run it into a corner. And if they didn't score, then, you know, you have to run, you have to ruck it out. Yeah, it was that Nico sort of sweet play minutes. a lot late in the yeah. set. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Cheese and Nico, I thought, were basically the cornerstones of their attack for a lot of the season, um, apart from Jerome Hughes. And I don't think he got the plaudits that he deserved for a lot of the year. He um, he carried this team quite a lot on his own back as well. Um, but, yeah, everything you guys mentioned, um, the, what gets them through is that they tackle like nobody else. Like their defence is just as good as, you know, the top two or three teams in the competition. And their forwards just continually roll through the middle. And if you can't, you know, if you can't dominate their forwards, then you're going to get beaten. <laughs> They'll beat you, even if it's only by two points and they just scrape through. They will beat you because they don't make a lot. They, you know, they, Their completion's pretty good. Their defence is really good. And their decision-making, when it actually matters, isn't that bad. But, yeah, their control was nothing like it has been for the last four or five years. Yeah. Um, just, just another name I'll just mention, the uh, 5-8 wannabe. But Kenny Bromwich is a little tradesman, isn't he? Um, <laughs> he goes hard. Him and Confuci are very underrated, to be yeah. honest, as, as back rowers. They do a really, really good job. They they never miss their target. They're really strong ball in hand, and they defend extremely well as well. But, yeah, Kenny doesn't mind a little grubber kick into the corner. <laughs> um, it's funny because I can't keep saying it because I feel like every team's worse off next year, and they can't, yeah. all, they can't all be. <laughs> no, so they can't all be. Someone's got to finish first, second, third, and fourth. But they're they're losing Fox, who did have a pretty good year, um, and Fanukan and Hines. Uh, it's picking up Xavier Coates, Nick Meany, Josh Kinger. I guess the main ones there. It's a rebuild again. They're going to have to go and start again. I'm sure Bellamy would have two or three blokes penciled in that can do these jobs. But they're also going to miss Cheese. Uh, what is it? Cheese has got two weeks, and Munster's got. And they've both got one. Is that all? All the Melbourne boys uh, got one. Yeah. Who, got the, who got the? Oh, Reese Walsh got. Reese Walsh got two. Yeah. Oh, well then fucking that's that's fuck all. Who cares? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, I feel like the fall's coming, but it's hard to say if Newcastle with uh, Melbourne. But I, I definitely think they're a weaker team next year. But we'll see how that plays out. If they all stay on the field all year, who knows? Munster might have a fire lit under him and be nice and sober all year and realize his potential. But um. Look, they're probably still realistically top four because someone's got to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they really need to work on a kicking game and uh, an option when it's not uh, when it's not Jerome Hughes because Munster's kicking game this year wasn't great, um, yeah. especially the long kicking game. I think they need to find somebody to take a little bit of um, pressure off Jerome Hughes because generally late in the sets they just know it's going to Jerome to kick. So yeah, we should see if Pap, uh, like Pappen has had a boot on him. Like, you know how, go back to 09, but Jared Hayden used to have that boot. If they, you know, could, you could just kick it 60, 60 metres. Meters if they're in trouble, yeah. or, they, or boot it, you know, 40 metres in the air if they're in trouble. But, but the focal point's still going to be their hookers with the one-two, uh, with Harry Grant and Cheese, and it's pretty hard to stop, especially if they're forwards yeah, and doing did, their job through the middle. Harry Grant. So. Um, how'd you rate his year? Obviously, a stop-start and... Yeah, obviously injuries cruel his career a little, uh, his career, his season a, a bit. Um, 
when he there was a he had run the two games for, where he just tore a couple of yeah there's a run there for about probably what five or six weeks where he was extremely good um and I, th- I think it's a little bit of a detriment to both of them to be honest i know that they work well together but it, i think it hurts them both especially when um you know cheese has got to go back into the back row and then harry comes on it doesn't hurt their defense at all because they're both extremely um good in defense but i, I feel like you can't sort of their you can't have 10 years of two international hookers playing 40 minutes so something's got to give i suppose at some point but, um, yeah, I thought Harry was a little less creative this year, to be honest, than what he was with the Tigers. I don't know if that's because he's been told just to get the ball to the, the other two, but mm. I don't think he – it didn't seem like he was creating as many opportunities as, as he did when he was at the Tigers the year before. Mm. Ollie, you've been quiet. Oh, I pretty much say my piece on Melbourne. I, I thought Harry was good when he played. The combination he and Cheese struck up, I thought was really good, especially when he first came back uh, in the season. They what? it looked like they had a little something worked out, and um, that that was working well. But he, he's not necessarily um, broken through the ceiling once again like he did last year. But that definitely doesn't mean he can't reach his potential next year or in years to come. What you do get back, and they didn't really have it; they didn't have time to build on it the back end of the year. But if you have that one, two, and throw Pappenhaus in as at three, he yeah. he really can hit that hole. Straight to the middle, Pappenhausen. So when you add the three of them together and keep them on the field, that can be scary. Finucane's a big out. You know, there's, there's, we can go through a lot of these, but oh, they're still probably going to tear 10, 12 teams apart. And that's sure a thing. Next Everyone season. sucks. So it's, uh, <laughs> what do you say? They can't either, you know, can they all be that bad? So yeah, I guess it gets us, it gets a tick. Another year there, you know, you play this, you play the last four weeks again over, they might win the comp, but they didn't. So. Oh, their season's absolutely um, top marks for the, their entire season. Uh, it was interesting the way they dramatically sort of fell apart at different times. It, it's funny, when teams seem to get on top and start to pressure them, they, they definitely lost their way this year, whereas um, seasons before there was somebody that would jump in and just go, no, we're, this is what we're doing, boys. We didn't seem They didn't seem to have someone to do that this year. Are there, are there any teams? There's not many teams that do these days. I suppose Penrith almost have the... The karma set. Yeah, South, Reynolds, South you'd have Stone. to throw Reynolds in there. Um, yeah, we'll get to them in a sec. DCE does, um, you know, it's it's yeah. a lot about that kicking game, as I mentioned. It's, uh, when you're on your back foot, the best thing to do, for, in my opinion, is to kick early and turn them around and get pin them back in their own end and make them do the work. But yep, um, So I guess we'll move on from Melbourne. All said, all done. Thank you, linesman. Thank you, all boys. All right, we head to the grand finalists, South Sydney Rabbitohs. Barney, some stats. Yeah, 78% completion again. Uh, 89.1% tackle efficiency. Reynolds with 260 points for the season. Johnson with 30 tries. Cook with an average of 43.7 tackles a game with an efficiency of 95.8%, which I think is the highest out of the entire competition, to be honest. Uh, 1,049 tackles made. Burgess with 144 average run metres per game and 304 hit-ups for the season. Line break assists, well, excuse me, was Walker with 39. Uh, try, uh, sorry, line break assist was Walker with 46. Tackle, uh, try assist was 33. Offloads was Murray with 24. 
Uh, tackle bus, gay guy made 97 tackle bus for the season. Walker also made the, ma- the most errors for the South team with 26. Latrell gave away nine penalties, which is uh, pretty good considering some of the other stats we've seen. Um, and there was no South player in the top 50 missed tackles for, the, <laughs> for wow. any player in the, in the competition. So obviously that... Um, just shows you how good their um, their defence was across the board for uh, the the entire season. Uh, it does because their defence wasn't great at the start of the year, which um, it surprises no. me that they didn't have one in the top fifty. But obviously, they they shared the missed tackles around in the team rather than somebody just continually missing tackles. So. They did swap their forwards around a lot as well, which maybe. Oh, they had um, twenty wins, four losses, seven hundred and seventy-five points for, and uh, four hundred and fifty-three against. They had thirty-two points as an average four, which I think was the best out of any. Oh no, sorry, second to Melbourne and eighteen point eight seven average points against the game. They lost four games a year: uh, two to Penrith and two to Melbourne. So. <laughs> Probably speaks for itself, really. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Barney, uh, you haven't gone first yet. You can. Oh well, I'm sorry. Like, I, I think I was a little overcritical of Melbourne, to be honest, in our last segment because realistically they were up there with South. Um, but South's South's left edge was realistically the reason they won a hell of a lot of the games that they won this year. They just stripped teams on that left-hand side with Cody Walker either scoring tries himself or setting up tries for somebody on his outside. That left-hand side was absolutely deadly. They just continually, as soon as they went down there, they just scored points. It didn't matter what defence they were up against. They just uh, came down with their set plans and it was as slick as anything else you'd ever seen as well. Um some of the passes to put Johnson away, we basically went over untouched for probably 10 or 15 tries during the year. And um, and if it wasn't that, Walker was cutting back inside. I thought that Cody Walker's probably had his best season that I think I've ever seen the bloke play. He was fantastic. Their forward pack, which everybody had questions about, even up until just before the um, semifinals, everyone was still asking questions of South's forward pack, but they absolutely did a job. Um, They didn't dominate many teams with uh, running metres, but their defence in the middle with the likes of Cook, Arrow and Murray just shut down uh, most attacks when they came back through the middle, uh, especially Murray and Cook. They don't miss a lot of tackles. You try to go back through the middle and they just cut you down and you've got to start again and you've got to find another way to try and get around them. Um, yeah. I thought they completely overachieved, to be honest. I, I expected them to be in the top four, but I didn't expect the way that they they changed from attack to defence at the back end of this year because they were blowing teams away with their attack and they, they got blown away a couple of times uh, by Penrith and Melbourne. But they turned from an – as soon as Latrell got suspended, they turned from an attacking team to a defensive team and they went through and they almost – well, not even stole the grand final. They would deserve it winners realistically, um, as were Penrith. Either team could have – that was, you know, a bounce of the ball, a 
an intercept pass and, and either of these two teams could have won the competition and South Sydney should be proud of what they did this year and uh, they're going to they're gonna lose a few going into next year but I, I I still expect them to be still expect them to be easily top eight and where they finish in, in that top eight is going to be very dependent on how they start the season next year. Isn't it funny how, again, I talked about a sliding doors grand final, but it wasn't even like that intercept. It wasn't even if he got the board of Johnson, if he just gone to gay guy, they score, I think having looked back at it, but um, yeah, that left edge was deadly. Uh, It was, but that, that was two blokes. Like I, with all due respect to Johnson and and uh, Gay Guy, it was Latrell and Cody that did that damage. Latrell, I think Latrell had his best season ever, uh, week in, week out. Even though he had these probably five or six games where he had Must a bit of a smoker, um, but he and especially the pack year. But when he was on the field, his ability. Look, I'm still going to stand by the fact that I think if Latrell Mitchell plays in a grand final, they win the game. I think they they produce more points. I think they break that left edge quicker. And uh, obviously it's a whole different game and, and defence got them there. But I think he was immense this year. Uh, one of my favourite players to watch. I hope he learns from this year and, and you know, continues to mature uh, and stays fit and all that sort of thing. Um, their forward pack was unsung. Tom Burgess probably had his best year. I can remember as well. He was tremendous. Uh, even shouted back to the bench. But uh, single-handedly... Uh, we talk, we've talked a lot about, well, not a lot. We well, we probably had five times where we said a front row won a team a game. Uh, Mo uh, or Luke Thompson got kept pet Bulldogs in games, but there were a couple of games where he definitely won them the game yep. through the middle of the year. Uh, Fisher Harris was the other one, I suppose, we talked about in those sort of vein. Uh, the growth of the professor, which uh, I'll throw, let Ollie talk about in a sec. <laughs> he was outstanding and... Uh, the respect he has around the club's clear, but uh, got to captain the club at one game and was just fantastic and, and earned his front row spot. Uh, and, yeah, you've, you've talked about Cody Walker and just... I called him a tummy. I didn't mention, which um, <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't, to be honest, because I thought he was one of the better front rowers slash second rowers running around in the competition this year. So Yeah, uh, and, if, and they still don't necessarily get the best out of Campbell Graham. Uh, and just before I throw it to Ollie, I'll just mention Cameron Murray just because I can and I want to. <laughs> Ollie, hello. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, I thought you were going <laughs> to say something. No, more. Cameron Murray's a freak. He's the best lock in the game, and um, what a guy! What a guy! Uh, well, just on South Sydney's forward pack, I think we we're saying for a lot of the year their forward packs not as big uh, as other teams or isn't as imposing. In hindsight, it, it wasn't necessarily that. It was heading into this year, the bigger players in their forward pack hadn't really given us any reason to believe that they were going to have the season that they did, as in your Tom Burgesses and, Absolutely. and yeah. Mark Nichols, because they're both big players. We we spoke about oh, a bit of a smaller forward pack, but those two blokes are definitely not small. But heading into this year, Mark Nichols was always a worker, a bench player would do his bit, but I don't think anyone was predicting him to hit the heights he did and a bit of a career resurgence for Tom Burgess off the bench as well for South Sydney. So I think that was huge in the impact that the Ford pack had. And you just got to look at the first week of the finals against Penrith 
the biggest compliment I think I could give South Sydney is they are one of the best grand final losers I've ever seen in terms of one of the best performances I've seen from a team who's lost a grand final. You could probably pick. There's been some good ones. Canberra would be up there. Yeah, Canberra really good. Not too dissimilar a game. I thought Brisbane were good. Melbourne, 2016. Yeah, Melbourne, 1989. Yeah. Those are the ones that that jump out to me anyway. Probably those four and South Sydney are, are in that vein and you could argue they were as good, maybe better. I don't know. But I think if you just about um, ter- pluck them out of this grand final and put them into half of the, the other grand finals in the NRL. Recent they, ones. They, yeah. they probably beat the team who won the premiership. Um, they were that good. I have to think. There's definitely a few, I think. Uh, Cody Walker, though, an amazing year. His best year. I remember at the start of the year, he had a couple of poor games. That game against Melbourne, he wasn't great. Against Manly, a Tom Travojevic less Manly. Manly were in that game for 60 minutes and then it was sort of last 20 where South woke up and they put him to the sword. That game against the Roosters on round three was critical because I think that was the week when it all clicked um, and they sort of woke up and those players like Cody Walker, et cetera, um, really stood up and mm. they sort of kicked off. Because the week before was that game we were talking about Manly weren't that good. DCE, that, that was a game we gave DCE points in the loss to South, I think. Yeah, because I remember, yes, Manly were in that game for the majority and then it was sort of at the end, Gillatrol sort of woke up and I think he, he sort of guided them to victory. But, yeah, it was that round three game against the Roosters where I sort of pinpoint the start of their season, really, uh, as in that's when they sort of kicked on from there. But uh, Cody Walker, for me, would have just about had to be their best player. Of course, the two forwards I spoke about as well. Alex Johnston doesn't get enough. Ups, I don't think top try scorer for a, a second straight season. It's crazy to think that in late 2019, he had all but signed with the Cowboys, I think, because at the time, I think South Sydney had, I think it later came out that South Sydney had told him he could look elsewhere. And then he was gone. Yeah, he was basically gone. And then there was an injury to, he got cut. He... I can't remember who it was. It might have been Braden Burns or someone. There was an injury, and I they think had it was sh- Burns when he did his um, yeah. yeah, yeah, Bennett was going to get re- and and since Bennett's come out and said he he fucked up, but um, <laughs> he was gone. Yeah, he was gone that year. I think. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I think that there were actually reports that he had signed with the Cowboys. That's what I mean, it was. I remember at one point being like, "Well, he's he's." off to the Cowboys next year. But um, since then, he's been the top try scorer in the NRL uh, regular season for two years in a row. And I think now he's the third player in Australian rugby league history to score 30 tries in a season, um, both regular and postseason included in that one there. But uh, he, he definitely has to get a wrap as well, I think. And, and Latrell, the best thing about Latrell is, we know he goes quote-unquote missing for games, but it's not going missing as in, he, he has a poor game or he's let his team down because he sort of picks his moments. Yeah. When they're well on top, he just, you find that he gets very uninterested in the game when yeah. Souths are winning but comfortably. To, to put it through Supercoach pylons, it's uh, he can play 15 minutes and make 80 points. Yeah. But, well, that's the thing as well. He sort of picked and chose his moments and, picked and choose his moments when he was needed. If he wasn't needed and a Cody Walker was running the show, all the forwards, your Mark Nichols and your, your Tom Trebojevic were dominating the middle, then he didn't really need to. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There was there was maybe one game for the entire season where Souths were behind where he went missing. 
the only time he goes missing is when yep. they don't need him. The only game I can the only <laughs> game know? I can think of where we actively bagged him for it was Brisbane, where they won by whatever they won by mm. anyway. Mm. Uh, and he was just bumming around behind the ruck a lot. And well, yeah, to, to bring Jared Hayne back into it, I, I guess we're purely talking about the player here, but I think one of Jared Hayne's biggest weaknesses, in a way, is that he didn't really pick and choose in his moment. And at times when Parramatta probably didn't need him to be going f- full at it, trying to create magic, he did. And sometimes it would disrupt Parramatta's play and would be to their detriment. Whereas I think Latrell knows... Yeah, Jared was good for that second row cutout pass. Yeah. And yeah, with Latrell, he sort of knows when he's not needed. But the, and, and the flip side of that is, in fairness, you'd rather that than, I don't want to say it, a David Fafita who's going to score four tries against the team running last. You know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. you don't want you don't want the flat track. But he's not at no point have we ever said he's a flat track bully or a, or he plays his best footy against the best teams. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, Origin yeah. would have loved to have seen it, uh, and rightfully so, he should have been rubbed out. Uh, I have no issues with suspension, but would love to have seen what he would have brought to a final series. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that that's pretty much it. For oh, I guess next season with South Sydney, it's it's a weird one because I still, as you brought up. There aren't too many teams who actually look better next year. South Sydney, for me, do look worse. And on paper, I think they regress. But I've still probably got them in the top four because what you said, Daggy, someone needs to finish there. I don't think they're going to have as good a season as this year, but I feel like it'll still be enough, probably third or fourth, I'm thinking, for South at the moment. So, yeah, next year they're losing Burns, Cook, Gay Guy, uh, Margot, Benji, Reynolds and Sewer, I think it's not quite sunk in how important Adam Reynolds well, it has to me because I keep talking about it, uh, how important Adam Reynolds is to this team because there are some angry ants in this team and uh, they do have the propensity to get a bit of a bit of the old pumpkin on uh, at times and Reynolds was the one that calmed them down. And I think that him uh, him going is going to lose a little bit of control here. Uh, there either needs to be a young halfback. I don't know if it's tough or the other guy whose name escapes me. Hawkins. Is it Hawkins or is it the who was the one that jumped the fence and ripped his? Yeah, one of yeah, that was him. Yeah. Hawkins. Uh, oh, he's off contract apparently, so it's not him. It must be Blake Taff. Yeah. Uh, well, Taff has is, been muted to go into seven, but we, yeah, we're yet to see him kick. And if you lose, if you don't have someone that's got at least three quarters of the King game that um, Reynolds has got, it's going to have a huge impact on this team. Well, that's right. So we've, I, I think the games Walker's had to be primary kicker. He's he's not a he's not a let's just say he's not a Reynolds level kicker. He could have been in a corner, but that's yeah. About he's, it. Got, he's got his chip and his uh his grubber through, but uh, consistent pinpoint stuff is a concern. So it's going to be a lot of pressure on Cam Murray, who I assume is going to be club captain, going to have to keep them all under control, uh, and maybe to a lesser extent Cook. Um, so uh, and and Gay Guy, I think, is a hole that needs to be filled. So and, and they're forwards, they're back row, so. And even Benji Milford's coming in, and he had his four great games at the end of the year. But we'll see what that brings. If he comes in, so I have concerns. But as as we've said, 
who beats them, I'm not sure, but I, I feel like they're going to regress. But Yeah, I think they might slide out of the eight, to be honest, um, just on the back of structure and control. Um, unless Taft's got a kicking game that we haven't seen yet, um, which is quite possible. He's played his whole junior career in the halves, from what I've, from what I've heard. So he may have a, quite a decent kicking game, but uh, they're gonna, they need someone to take over that kicking game. Because Latrell's got a really big boot on him, but there's not a lot of control in it. Cody's got a half-decent short kicking game with chips and grubbers into corners. But to for someone to consistently put up bombs that land on the try line and all that kind of stuff, which you need in every game of football to at least put the pressure on or even create scoring opportunities when there's nothing else going on, uh, they're, they're going to need to find someone who can do that for them. Uh, the forward pack should be okay. Uh, Sua is a little bit of a loss. Mago barely played a game this year, so I I did have wraps on him coming into this year, but I, I don't think he played much football this year, so it's, it's not realistically a loss. Um, as we mentioned, their big boys did a good enough job. Jai Arrow was a little underwhelming for me, um, considering how good he was at the Titans at just being that guy that... And controlled the middle, and he was the, the aggressor and that that nasty that nasty bloke. And I'm sure if you're given a few more minutes in this South back, he can do that as well. And he might even take a little bit of pressure off Murray. Well, but... he played himself out of a starting spot essentially. Yeah. And yeah, he, he is one of the off. yeah. I was going to say he's one of the ringleaders of the pumpkin crew. Absolutely, um, but yeah, I think they need to find another worker or two in the middle just to to take some pressure off Murray because I, I honestly think that Murray could be one of the better attacking back rowers slash locks in the game um, if he doesn't have to make fifty five tackles a game. So um, if they can do that for him, like if he only makes thirty tackles in that grand final, I reckon that he probably sets up one or two breaks and whatever and the try comes from it but he had to make his 52 tackles and Cook had to make his 40 that's another big point Cook's been making 45 50 tackles every game and his running game this year was nothing compared to the last two or three seasons they really need to get him out but it wasn't that good last and, year yeah but it still was a lot better than what it was and, this and year. everyone thought these rule changes he was going to be the god of football yeah. But there, there was a couple of games where he ran three or four times in the entire game, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. just, you know. Yep. But most hookers at least get out for eight or ten runs for most games, and there was a couple of games where he ran three or four times, and it was obviously to South's detriment. Um, yeah, I expect them to be around the bottom of the four, but it wouldn't surprise me if they miss the four next year, to be honest. Yep. I guess that's South. Um, overachieved, I think. Yeah, slightly. Um, slightly I had him sort of pegged in around fourth, but yeah. Um, it's a funny thing because the season well, around, I think Canberra skewed it. all of our yeah, preseason <laughs> a little bit, and and maybe the worst. But um, yeah, maybe overachieved, and yeah, real concerns for next year. I think that's probably the consensus, is it, boys? Pretty close to it. Pretty much. All right, the Premiers, the Penrith Panthers. Uh, Barney, yep. yep. 79% completion, 87.9% tackle efficiency. Top point scorer was Cleary with 231. Top try scorer was Burden with 17, which was pretty low considering um, a few of the others in the top six in this competition. Um, 
Top tackles was Api Corusau with an average of 44.1 tackles a game, 793 tackles for the season, and 92.6% efficiency. Uh, run meters, <laughs> this man's an absolute freak and a god, and I love the way he plays his footy. And Brian Tai with an average of 246 meters a game, 5,162 meters for the season in 21 games. It's just ridiculous. He was that 1,888 post-contact metres too. He was like 30 metres ahead of anybody for the entire season. And the closest was Tommy, and he was making full full lengths of the field breaks at different times of the year. Um, Jared, uh, James Fisher-Harris with 303 hit-ups. Burton with 26 line break assists. Uh, sorry, 26 line breaks. Luai was the leading line break assist with 25. Cleary with 21 try assists. Offloads was Tavita Penguai Jr. with 54, and I reckon 40 of those came before he came to Penrith, but he, he did yes. have an impact when he did come to Penrith. So, um, tackle bus, Brian Tyro with 129 tackle busts. Kick out features quite heavily in the negative stats um, for the Penrith team with 31 errors. Not the second rower of the year. 14 penalties conceded and 26 handling errors. And Liam Martin missed 92 tackles for the season. Uh, they ended up with 44 points for the year, 21 wins, three losses, 676 points, four and 286 points against, which is obviously the big one and the whole reason that they won most of the finals games that they won. 28.16 points for and 11.9 points against. Isn't it... Um, well, when you add up 5,000 metres from uh, 2-0, uh, Dylan Edwards, 4,060, which is fifth on the ladder. Throw in their forward pack and then throw in 10,000 kicking metres from Nathan Cleary, which led the, clearly led the comp as well. They played a lot of their football in the opposition's half and kept them there. They did Absolutely. And I said Continual it last year. Continual pressure football. Yeah. They played. They earned the right to score points later in the game by playing that sort of football earlier in the game. And they, they actually lost their way for probably two months of the season where they just went away from that. But for the first, uh, until the Mighty West Tigers beat them in round 13, <laughs> uh, until then they were just they would just own field possession. They wouldn't panic and think they had to score. And, and I, I don't know why it hasn't spread to other teams because all teams panic, but they, they will happily be nil all at 20 minutes because they know at the back end of the game it's going to be they got 12 or 18 points coming in quick fashion. Uh, it helps your defence. When you're defending a team running off their own oh, line, you can compress your defence and send four blokes at them. Yeah. And you're not going to miss that tackle. And you're probably going to pick them up, just like the grand final, you're probably going to pick them up and drive them back five metres. Um, obviously, it's a lot harder to defend your own line than what it is to defend a team running off their line, especially with the one-out stuff that most teams come at you with off their own line. So. So that was that was the that is has been the key to Penrith, and um, if that's Cleary's doing, or if it's uh, older Cleary's doing, his uh, incredible <laughs> assistant coach Garcaraldo's uh, doing, uh, good on him. Uh, but it yeah, it laid the template, and it worked tremendously for three months. Origin crueled them, uh, and I thought the back end it took them a long time for the wheels to go back on. But I have to give massive credit for the way they got through. I can knock them all I want and some of their fans, but the way they got through that final series, 
they earned the right. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, it's a, it's to, a, uh, to be it's, premiers. And, it's been uh, a thing since 1908, mate. Field position, possession, and defence yeah. will win you more games than anything else. Yeah. Uh, they were tremendous. Uh, I'm going to, before I go back and put my Penrith cap back on uh, and wax through about some players, I'll let you wake up there, um, Bernie, down the bottom and have a chat there. Am I down the bottom in your screen? <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, yeah, you're in mine, yeah. <laughs> a weekend at Bernie's. Um, yeah, well... You wouldn't even know what that was, would you? <laughs> I've heard... I've probably heard you blokes mention it before because I have heard weekend at Bernie's mentioned. Actually, I'll, I'll put money on it that it was you blokes, but... um, not likely. Penrith, the 2021 uh, Premiers. So I'm going to say they probably passed this season. Uh, <laughs> Just. That. But they did exceed my expectations. I know for a lot of the year I was backing them, but at the very start of the year when I made my predictions, I had them fourth and I had them going out in the prelim. Uh, I didn't think they could match what they did in 2020. And I'd say they did for half the year. Then Origin came and in terms of the regular season of 2020 and 2021. Penrith had a better regular season in 2020. Um, for me anyway, uh, certain players had a better year this year, like Brian Toto, most definitely. But yeah, he would definitely be one of the players in my positives for Penrith. It's, it's pretty hard to have anyone in the negatives, probably other than Viliami Kikau and Tyrone May. I find it hard to pick anyone out. I thought Jerome Luai dropped off a bit after the origin period. And as much as I love him, he never really picked his form back up. He had a good game against Melbourne in that prelim, I think. And I think that's about as good as he got in the second half of season 2021. But it, I've sort of, I started backing Penrith to win the comp after that game against Canberra in round five. Cause funnily enough, I was tipping Canberra to win the comp up until then, and I thought, okay, if they lose to Penrith here, I won't tip Canberra anymore. But I wasn't really expecting to then go on and say Penrith were going to be that team, but they just impressed me immensely that night, and it, it continued for at least half the year. There were a couple of times I was thinking maybe they are gone, but they just held on, stuck in there. And we talked about at the, at the middle part of the season how this is where it's all unravelling, the injuries, the origin selections. But in hindsight, probably the best thing that could have happened to them if they were going to have injuries, to have it then. Because by finals time, I think their last injured player, who was Brian Toto, actually returned in round 26, right before the finals, I think it was. So it was perfect timing, really. They were back and fresh for a, a gritty final series. I've seen some people saying it's the the toughest, grittiest uh, final series for any team. I'd argue that Manly team, what was it, back in 70... Three seventy-eight. Maybe, there, I don't that, know. That played. Um, they played. Seven, they played five games in seventeen days or something like that. A couple of yeah. replays, and then I think, I think it would have been uh, the one against Cronulla where they replayed that one. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that was probably a bit grittier and uh, tougher on the players, but uh, Penrith stuck in there. They got the job done in the end. Next season, I don't really see them regressing at the moment. I have them as my minor premiers. Because whereas a lot of teams, I don't think Penrith are getting better next year, but I can't see him having that drop off to even a Melbourne's extent. Uh, we spoke about South Sydney and Manly how they're probably going to drop off a bit as well. Penrith might drop a little bit just because defending premiers, it's so hard to defend a, a premiership, and that's going to 
um, sort of impact them towards the end of the season. But I feel like 2022 will be similar to 2021, except a couple of teams are going to drop off. So I'd say they probably take the minor premiership. Um, and I've already, I'm tipping the Roosters to win the comp. And I guess as a bit of a side, uh, one of the reasons why I'm tipping them to win the comp is because they've got a bit of upside for next year. They're pretty much the only team that does. Whereas Penrith's just about the only team who's not dropping off out of that top eight and is really going to maintain where they are. So next year, yeah, they're, they're not really going to do any better than a premiership. It's hard to, but they're not going to regress that much either. Barney. Yeah, I actually tipped them to run fifth because I expected them to have a down. I thought that, that it would intentionally be done, uh, which had actually happened through injury. But I thought that they would basically have a spell of maybe four to six weeks where they just laid off, uh, whether they laid off training or they rested players or they just uh, basically, you know, went through the motions there for a good four to six weeks at the back end of origin, which did end up happening. But their defence improved immeasurably considering what it was last year. I expected them to not get smacked by teams, but I, I expect them to lose a run of maybe three or four games there at the back end of the origin where um, the, the defence wasn't just, just wasn't going to be quite good enough and they were going to lose a few games. They managed to lose a couple in the middle of origin with obviously a lot of players out, but their defence was that good this year. And as we mentioned, a lot of it came off the back of field position and they didn't really have to defend their line a lot until it came finals time. And then when it came finals time, they made that many covering tackles. They saved that. I reckon they probably saved 15 tries in their final series. And that's the difference between winning and losing games in the finals. Like their their defense was tremendous. The way that they scrambled, even if it wasn't scramble, it was somebody would bust halfway through the line and the bloke from his inside shoulder, his outside shoulder would absolutely smack him, put him on his back and slow the entire ruck down. And then they'd just continue on. Um, Their line speed was fantastic the entire year. And it goes down to their desire and heart, obviously from being beaten in the grand final the year before, they just, they just wanted it more than, I know it's absolute cliche to say, but they wanted it more than just about every team that they played every game, every every game of the season. Um, Their attack was fantastic. It was absolutely humming up until semi-final, uh, up until origin time. You lose Cleary. Luai has a bit of a downturn. The biggest one they had this year was Burton, which obviously is going to hurt them yeah. moving on. Uh, I don't think it will hurt them as much as people may think because you gotta, you've got to read him. Like Crichton just slots back into the centres. They've just got to find a winger, and I hope it's not Charlie Staines, to I be know, honest. I would be surprised. <laughs> I hope they find another young bloke to play on the wing. But... This Penrith team was that good all year. They were as good as Melbourne. They were as good as anyone at um, different times during the year. They've got everything in that you want in a football team, especially the aggression in defence. And the and ball in hand, their, front, their forward pack wants to run over people. They want to break holes. And then you've got the blokes that are scrapping on the outside in the likes of Yo and Kate Wool that... You know, they can find a half break, set up their outside men, or even just do it themselves. So they, yeah, they they exceeded my expectations. Just I did say that I thought they'd finish the year in a fifth, but it wouldn't surprise me if they went on to win the competition because there's just 
like the way they played the last two years, they've they've been the best team in the competition for the last two years. Like honestly. I think they've actually changed the comp in a way in that they will put the focus back they're starting to make clubs realise that development's important. Yeah. They'll put the focus the West Tigers have started doing it and that um supposedly the Tigers junior system's amazing and the new facilities are amazing and uh, the young players are all amazing, but you you can't you can go and buy a, a comp. You actually you can't anymore. But you can grow this team that can win you maybe three comps. And Roosters did it to a little. I know they're not all homegrown, but Roosters built that team that they put the three. They got them in young and put them all yeah, together. Yeah. They put, and Melbourne did too. Let's be honest. So if you look at the last ten years, Melbourne, Roosters, Penrith. Uh, at their best, Brisbane, um, they grow their teams. And I think clubs are starting to come back and realise that a little bit. Uh, they, um, sorry, what you mentioned about desperation, I'm just even looking at the results, but there was games where they played like absolute shit that they won. And, and that's the thing, they won is the, is the ultimate. Like I, I bagged them plenty of times, but they won. 13-12 uh, against Para. Para should have beat them by 10, but they didn't. Even the games where Cronulla and Tigers beat them, they played like like they should have lost by fifty. They were that bad, but the desperation and half a the team game yeah. and had half a game, uh, a half a team, uh, and it's at late. Uh, the Roosters game. I was just looking through results. The Brisbane game, but they won. Is is what the difference was? Uh, and and they wanted to. They had the most desperation of any team. And uh, you can have a look through the finals team as uh, final series as well. South well, could have and should have beat them. We pretty Paramount much said could have should hundred percent. Actually, we, every week I sat here and said. Well, Penrith should have lost, but they didn't. And and I wish I followed a team that was like that. But, uh, yeah, kudos to them. Kudos to the staff. Kudos to the players. Uh, they are, at heart, a lot of my favourite players. I know two of Ollie's favourite players at least play for them. Okay, good chat, Ollie. And, uh, <laughs> I thought you were stopping because you are like holding a burp or something just then. I thought you were... Well, I was, but you were supposed to jump, jump in. Jump like in and run for the team, mate. So, Take yes, I love Bizzer and Romy. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I... And here's, again, I'm going to say for next year, I have concerns. Capel's a big... Isn't it... You know what's weird about Capel? He doesn't do anything. When you look at stats... He does fucking heaps. <laughs> no, I know, but you look at his stats. Like, in the grand final, he ran 38 metres. There was that other game, he ran 42 metres. But fantastic defensive player. He's up the shit on I the know. inside. You know, I he's making know. the tackles. He's I... diving on the loose balls. He's fucking... Makes a mistake here yeah, and I, there. But... I know, but that's a big out. <laughs> is my point. But it's funny, stats-wise, how sometimes the stats don't tell the story. Uh but yeah, losing Capel's a big out. Burton obviously is a big out. They have to rebuild their centres there because he was the centre of the year. Uh, Naden, uh, not so much a big out, but when you combine it with Capel, is um, a concern. And uh, but they, they've got enough there. Like I said, uh, they've still got Robert Jennings, still got Crichton. I think I'd like to see Lenu maybe go to the back row and maybe take Cable's position, and then they need. I think they need to find another big guy to go in the middle with Leota and Fisher Harris. 
Who right. back? Your Sor- your Sorensen's. Well, they got Hopgood there. They've got blokes like well, that. Well, Sorensen's a bench player now. His career is basically, you know, like he was tremendous. Don't get me wrong, uh, but he's at the back end of his career. He's got twelve months left in him, maybe two yeah. years at the most. I, I assume next year's the um, UEC Salmon and um, Hopgood. I think Spencer Lino to me seems more like someone who's going to play on a fringe and maybe pop a ball here and there and do that sort of clean-up stuff rather than running into the tee for defence. And I'd just like to see him pick up a big body, someone, anyone, Ben Murdoch, Masilla, someone of that sort of ilk just to run through the middle and do his job and do the 15 hit-ups through the middle and make his tackles and just give your Fisher-Harris's a little bit of a break and... So, yeah, I, I think they look. To be honest, I think they overachieved in winning the comp. I, I had, I think I potted them at the start of the year and said they'll uh, fall off a cliff. So kudos <laughs> to them. I still think they're in the golden period of their of their little window here, and, and next year I think it carries on. But it'll be interesting to see how how they back up next year. Uh, anything left to say about the premiers? Have we covered everything for in our season review? The mighty mountain men, apparently. Yes, go the mighty Panthers. Uh, so, uh, just a couple of quick, well, a couple of quick frisbees out. Uh, which team are you most excited to see? What happens next year, Barn? I think the team that has the most room for improvement is Brisbane, to be honest, um, especially with Reynolds coming in uh, to give them some sort of direction, which they desperately lacked for the entire season. Um, you've got your, your, your Payne Haas. They, they've got a decent four-pack. They matched it pretty much for the majority of the season in the middle. Uh, their biggest issue was obviously uh, scoring points. Uh, Tessie New looked like he was someone that could um, fill that fullback role. You've got your, your likes of Selwyn Cobbo. We didn't see a lot of... Um, Apparently had a big uh, game on the weekend. Yeah, he did. Uh, in the in the Queensland Cup game, he did. Uh, we didn't see much of Katoni Staggs. If you can get a full season under his belt, I, I think they can improve markedly and be pushing at the you know bottom end of the eight. Uh, Ollie? Yeah, well, Brisbane would be close to that team for me, but I've got to go with the Roosters. Melbourne are going to regress. Souths are going to regress. Manly are going to regress. We've said that. Penrith are probably going to be just about where they are. The only team out of that top five that's going to improve. And it's not because they've made a bunch of signings. It's because they've got over a million dollars of their salary cap who was out injured this year coming back uh, to the Roosters. And that also forces them a bit to change the way they were playing this year. So they're going to be a bit more unpredictable. Besides, uh, I'm really keen to see this Sam Walker-Luke Keary combination because Sam Walker does have that ability to control the game a bit. When Cooper Cronk retired, Luke Keary sort of had to go into that game control, that game controlling half quintessential halfback position, which he can't do perfectly. He won a Clive Churchill medal in 2000 in the 2018 grand final doing that. Uh, However, I I still think he's at his best when he's able to run the ball, have that bit of freedom. And I feel like Walker will be able to control enough of the game where uh, we can see that from Kiri. So I'm actually giving a little, a bit of a big year for Kiri if he can come back, hopefully strong from injury. Um, And you got your likes of Victor Radley, who was sort of hitting his straps just about when the Roosters uh, got eliminated from the finals. Again, all the talent who's coming back uh, from being injured. And also the players who have sort of come through this year. Kieran's probably going to be starting now. 
at, at centre. He's definitely a promising prospect. Uh, Sawali, I think, will play a bit more first grade than he did last year. He's still seasoned out in first grade, but it's going to do him the world of good now, especially with all those players coming back. He'll have a lot more protection. So uh, right now I'm really excited to see the the Roosters play next year. And uh, as I said, I'm going to say it again, at the moment they're my tip to go all the way in 2022. You fuckers. I was so happy footy was over. Now, now I'm excited for footy again already. Shitheads. But um, oh, you've you've stolen the, of the two obvious ones. Uh, but I'll I'll just, I'll just say the Sharks. I'm very interested to see what first season coach does. Uh, what Fanukan brings to a club. What Nico Hines brings to a club. What uh, Cam McGuinness brings to a club. We don't know yet. Uh, so there was you know Sharks for the three years have been the. Did you Whipping the, boy of the A. I don't say the yeah. They're just like the the busted. Yeah, the busted. You know the busted balloons. But if I, I would be excited if I was a Sharks fan, put it that way, uh, yeah, as much as any any other club. Uh, and the other question I'll ask you is just a, a handful of players that you know might springboard next year. Well, I'll, 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 well, I'll go first. I'll go oh. first, just because I'd never go first. Uh, well, first of all, from a, a selfish point of view, very excited to see what Jackson Hastings brings back to the NRL, and uh, our man Oliver Guildhart. Uh, but uh, on top of that, it, it's actually, and even just thinking about it, and an extension of Dewey and uh, and Dane Laurie and whoever else. But even just thinking about it, seeing what Luke Keary and Cam McGinnis bring back to the game after. Twelve months off is is very interesting. It's intriguing to me. Uh, seeing where Jerome Luai goes next year, uh, he can go one or two ways. He could be the next Dylan Brown. He could be. Uh, he could get back to being a superstar. Dylan Brown, someone I'm interested to see. Does he end up on the bench at the Warriors? Like, uh, so they're the main ones. A couple of forwards, Stefano, you know, a one there again from a selfish point of view, uh, and some of those prison players like your, your Selwyns and. Some of those forwards I, I really am keen to see grow. So uh, somehow I have a soft spot for Brisbane now, which is weird. Um, <laughs> who wants to go? Who wants to go first here? Get amongst the belly. Yeah. So you picked my my two, Luke Keary and Cam McInnes. McInnes is definitely an interesting one because he just about, at least statistically, is the best defender in the game. I want to see if he's still able to keep that up coming back now as a Cronulla Shark with the best side he's had around him in at least five years. On the back um, of an ACL. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, uh, Toby Sexy Sexton. I'm keen mm. to see how he develops. It seems like... I'll throw Marzu into that too. Yeah. Uh, Ma- Marzu, Campbell, how he develops. It's exciting times in terms of the development of younger players coming in at the Titans. I'm not necessarily expecting anything huge from the season, but definitely from that aspect. One as well is Joseph Manu because I have a feeling he is going to be the player consistently in the media being linked to this team, that team. He's getting paid a schooling dollars here. They're offering him a schooling dollars over here. It'll be throughout the season. He'll pop up again and be the number one name in all the, the news stories um, throughout the season with where he's going to end up in 2022 and if uh, 23. And if the Roosters are winning the comp next year, he's going to have to be huge uh, in the centre. So I'm keen to see how he reacts to all this speculation that's going to be around him. I don't think it'll be too dissimilar to Latrell Mitchell 
at the back end of 2019 um, where, you know, probably for a hot minute, the Tigers will be offering him a, a couple of million and maybe there'll be a bit of hope there for the Dagster. But um, um, then I think uh, I'd say probably ends up at the Warriors in 2023. They seem to be throwing the kitchen sink at him and going to give him the world, but I'm just keen to see how he reacts to it all and if he can keep up that amazing form that has had him for me in the top 10 players of the game this year. Uh, just before Barney goes, the other team I want to give an honorary mention to is the Dragons because they now just feel like the fifth grade park cricket team that uh, turn up and get bashed every week, but geez, they have some fucking good barbecues afterwards. It's all the 40 year olds together and get <laughs> yeah, on the It just drinks. feels like, yeah, it feels like my sort of team. So good on them. Uh, I'd love to have on a beer. Yes. It's a bit frustrating as well because I think I said a couple of weeks back, probably other than, or maybe now the Tigers, but Penrith and Brisbane as well, they have a lot of young talent coming up mm. it could be anything in the next few years and, and it's almost if they get it right they could be they're easier top eight team yeah but again it, it it's easier said than done but the thing is with all this talent coming through hopefully the dragons just don't stick to too many of the old guns and actually give them give some of them a chance to come into the side because the past couple of years the dragons have not been the best with um bringing young players through probably the big big example is jason saab who at Manly was one game away from a grand final and one of the top try scorers in the comp. So that's definitely interesting because they're bringing in a lot of the older boys, but they've also got so much talent. I, I, I hope that Sloan's number one round one next year and not he has to. Buy. That was going to be one of the ones that I was going to mention. Uh, I will get to you, but let's go now because um, it's funny. This time last year we sat and went, well, there's no... If the, none of these super coach rookies we can really latch on to, but it feels like there's a yeah. whole ton of them now. Absolutely. I'll start with my team, and it's, it's Will Kennedy's my number one that I'll be watching to see where he goes. Um, he's set himself a pretty high bar, uh, so whether he continues forward on that or he goes backwards, um, that's that's going to be telling for the Sharks. Uh, you got Nico Hines coming in there as well. Uh, he looks like he's going to be in half a half option, so... Whether those two can uh, link up and create something nice on the edges for the Sharks or whether they both struggle, it could be interesting. Um, and uh, Braden Hamu and Ueli, I expected him to have a bigger year than what he had this year. I thought he would have been one of the leaders and I thought either Tolman or Woods would have gone back to the bench and he would have been starting and um, been the, the front row leader for the Sharks. Obviously, with Woods gone and Tolman possibly gone, he's going to have to be for the Cronulla Sharks next year. And um, I expect him to be starting next year. And, uh, yes, there's going to be a lot of eyes on how he actually um, performs going into next year. So while the Sharks do have a few upsides there and there could be some uh, potential gains, but there's a few questions there as well. So... Uh, for me, still has them floating around basically where they finished this year, maybe a position or two higher. But um, you've got uh, who's the front row for the Warriors? Fucking Fanua Blake. Does he continue his rise and end up being the second best or the best prop in the game, or does he go backwards? They're, they're such an interesting case study. Like, we could do podcasts on each club because you're Josh Curran's, you're. Yeah. Um, he, he was the next one I was going to mention, and then Reese Walsh. So there's, there's three sorry, from the Warriors. Reese Walsh is a big one. Um, obviously, obviously, off the back of the controversy at the end of this year, what happens with how he goes through his counselling and how he bounces back next year? Because he's going to need to be a focal point for that team because their halves have struggled. Sean Johnson should help, but how he fits in on the outside of Sean Johnson, I'm not sure. Sorry, I just, um, I just had visions of his counselling. 
<laughs> Drunk to buy it. Tyrell Sloan for the Dragons. Um, he looks like an absolute jack in the box. He and same with Jaden Campbell. Put them both in the same uh, in that same box. They could come out and set the world on fire next year, or they could be contained and shut down. It's going to be interesting to see how they go. A low max for me. Um, I expected a big year out of him this year. Injury sort of cruelty year this year but he could be anything as, as a center he could be one of the best centers going forward and stags again put him into that same box i was expecting a breakout year again well he had his breakout year the year before but i expected him to rise further than what he did this year but obviously he didn't play a lot of games of football so uh makes it hard uh mahoney's one also from Parramatta. um he could end up being the best hooker in the game mm-hmm. But I'm not sure whether he does end up being the best hooker in the game. He's extremely good in defense. He's as good as just about anybody else. And he's he does have a really he seems to have a really good um, mindset on how to set up an attack and how to get a team around around the field and take some pressure off his halves. But um, he's going to obviously need a little bit of help there. So. Um, obviously, he's going to need someone to jump on the back of what he does, and yeah, th- th- that's going to be interesting to me. I can see. I got a feeling a couple of those power plays might be the first signed at at, at uh, let's, let's call them <laughs> the Rolfins. <laughs> the Rolfins. Um, and for feeder, I think it's a make or break year for feeder. Um, David Fafita is on a shit ton of money at the moment, and if he doesn't do more than what he did this year, he's going to lose money in his next contract. So, But I expect him to be as good, if not better, than what he was this year, to be honest, for the Titans. So, I'm hoping and praying. I'm hoping. <laughs> Just with a lot of the players that we've been mentioning here, I've noticed probably most of them have been from the Dragons. I've just been thinking while you blokes have been talking about these players are the Dragons going to be that team next year that we can just as easily see finishing eighth as we can see them finishing 15? Win and win Yes. Yeah. Well, if Ben Hunt turns up in the mood he did for 10 weeks this, this year. year. Absolutely. And Dougie stole um, Stefano. Stefano is my man crush at the moment. I absolutely love Stefano. Ukutamano, and I think he will push himself into probably the top five front rowers. If not top five, at least the top ten front rowers in the game uh, by this time next year. And um, oh, there was one more. Who was it? I just, I just had it and I've lost it. That's right. Anyway. We'll, uh, anyway, we're verging on bold prediction territory. So... The good stuff is, uh, do I think of him first? Now I'll think of him later. Now, <laughs> next week will be our bold prediction show. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We, It's basically our sign-off for the year. We sit down and we put our balls out and say, uh, you should probably get that checked, and then say we... Um, <laughs> and, then say, and then say, uh, our, we go club by club, and outline our bold prediction for every club. So it's not a, a it it's not a goal something, play to guarantee. It's not a we, it's not just a, oh yes um, we know Kevin Guinness is going to leave. It's it's somewhere between <laughs> pie in the sky and it, it's shoot for the stars and you might hit the moon and see how we go. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We're going to hopefully be back at the Grey Gums Hotel because we're allowed to be. So we'll confirm that info. Uh, send in yours. So. In a perfect world, send them into our Facebook page, 
in video form, and I'll play them all on the show. Uh, so if it's your club, you can do all the clubs if you really want to, and uh, we'll play them throughout the the show. Your bold prediction for either your club or whichever club, player, manager, team, coach you want to, and uh, the best one, we'll reveal the best one from last year. There were some crackers, and we're going to reveal, and then next year the best one will get a trophy on behalf of the old Dagster. Uh, so that's to look forward to. For now, this has, yeah, been Foot in Frothies again. Thank you, Ollie, Barney, and uh, we will be back for one more crack before the off-season. Uh, hopefully in the off-season we'll have some interviews and some fun stuff lined up, but for now, one more crack for Rugby League in 2021. Thank you, boys. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for providing some Saturday on a uh, Saturday or even a sanity on a Wednesday night is where I was going, uh, and we will talk next week. Catch you yeah, soon. Yeah, Rugby League. <laughs>